Off-Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. Back in university, I had a really powerful experience where I discovered what I was passionate about, which is alternative education, and I quit my major of astrophysics to design my own major in alternative schooling and science education. I essentially got to do whatever I wanted for the second half of college. And I left with many positive experiences under my belt and a generally positive vision of what college and university life can be. And so my first book, College Without High School, was about how you can be an unschooler, how you can, you know, sneak your way through the K-12 system and still go and become a regular college student. Shortly after that was published, this is when the recession happened and when a lot of people started criticizing college because it's becoming so expensive and is it really worth it and what really happens there. And I started to take those arguments seriously and I started interviewing young adult unschoolers and self-directed learners who had decided not to go to college. And I turned that into my book, Better Than College, How to Build a Successful Life Without a Four-Year Degree. And that was a pretty popular book. And some people know me as like the, the anti-college guy. And, and I did give a number of talks about this. And I do love debating the, you know, here are good reasons not to go to college. Here are good reasons to wait or take a gap year. Uh, here are, you know, all these careers where you don't really need a degree. I'm a big fan of those arguments. But there is still a part of me that has a lot of respect for four-year college and university. And so I got an email recently from T.K. Coleman, who's part of the Praxis team. Praxis is an organization that I have a lot of admiration for. Isaac Morehouse was one of my earlier podcast guests. We talked about Praxis and entrepreneurship. And uh, T.K. was doing a, a tour arguing against college, arguing against you know all the reasons people popularly give that you know it's a good reason to go to college, four-year college. And so I was given an invitation to have a debate with him in which I take the pro-college stance. And I thought, you know what, it's time to, to brush off the old uh, lapels and to get back onto the, the, the college saddle here. And so I spent the last few days thinking up all of the best arguments that, that I genuinely believe in for why a young person should consider going to four-year college or university, even if you're not quite sure what you want to do. Um, and I threw those at TK over the course of this interview, and we went on and on. It's about an hour and 45 minutes of actual discussion. And, uh, but you will get to hear me doing my best to convince a skeptic that college is you know, a generally good path. And, and everything that I believe about why it might be uh, great for a young person, you will hear it in this interview. And so if, if you have the patience to get through all of it, I hope you enjoy it, and it was a really great, really dynamic debate. Without further ado, here is TK. My guest today is TK Coleman. TK, welcome to the podcast. Blake, it's great to be here, man. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. Uh, tell everyone what you are doing right now in terms of this tour that you're on. So I have recently launched a tour called TK's Tour, for of, of bad arguments for college. And essentially the focus of each video, it's a video tour, uh, the focus of each video is to dissect, deconstruct, and make light of commonly made arguments and objections to college dropouts and opt-outs as to why they need to go to college in order to be successful. And the work is inspired by 
the work I do with Praxis. I've done this work for five years. I've worked with people who have opted out of the traditional college system and have chosen to go about the process of career prep in an alternative way, namely through apprenticeships. And one thing that happens quite frequently when you make decisions that deviate from the status quo is you face a lot of questions and objections that simply don't arise for people that do what the majority of people are doing. And since two out of three high school graduates go to four-year colleges um, and you decide that you're not going to do something like that, you make a lot of people worry. Uh, You make a lot of people wonder about you. You make people concern. And so they say, well, what about this? Or have you thought about that? And so my participants have come to me for years asking me, well, what would you say to this objection? Or what would you say about that? Or you know, how do you handle this? And so I decided to make a video series where I devote each video to a single argument or objection that's made to opt-outs and dropouts, and then I give TK's two cents on it. So um, <laughs> check it out. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Well, thanks for joining uh, me here in podcast land. No video for you. And uh, you mentioned that you work for Praxis. Well, I've always been told that I have a face for radio, so this is great. Oh, ouch. Okay, <laughs> moving along quickly. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about Praxis, just what it does? Give me the elevator pitch and, and let people know where they can find out more about it. Absolutely. So Praxis is a career launch program, and the mission is to help people launch their careers without a traditional credential. We live in a world where the dominant message, the dominant message is that in order to be successful, uh, you have to go go to school because school and education for the most part are the same thing. And when you graduate high school, the question is not, are you going to college? The question is, where are you going to college? And we believe that the world is changing and the conversation around career prep has to change with it. And we are changing that conversation, not merely by talking, but by creating a community experience, a curriculum experience, and an apprenticeship experience that allows people to launch their careers and find what makes them come alive and do it and be successful at it without going through the traditional route of four years, six figures, and a lifetime of debt to make that happen. And what I love about Praxis, I had Isaac Morehouse, the founder uh, on the podcast a long time ago, and I went back to the webpage today, which I believe is discoverpraxis.com, and uh, it's a net zero program. You pay $12,000, but you earn something like $14,000 through your apprenticeship, which is paid at $15 an hour for six months. And so if you are uh, you know, otherwise smart with your money, then you'll end up not paying anything for the whole experience. Is that right? That is right. You, you still have to pay for your living expenses and so forth while you're in the program, So you still have to take care of yourself and so forth. But this is certainly not the kind of program where you're going to need to be taking out a loan uh, because you're not making any money, you know, throughout the whole time, you know, not 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 to, you know, poke fun at college. But, you know, you don't get paid to go. Yep, that's right. All right. Um, One other thing I want to do before we jump in, DK, is to quickly share our uh, relevant college backgrounds Mm -hmm. and quickly say whether our careers Uh, require college. And so I'll go ahead and say that uh, I went to UC Berkeley back before the recession when it cost about $8,000 a year for tuition at, at, you know, a really high quality public university. I went in to study astronomy and physics. I did that for two years. Then I changed majors and designed my own major in alternative education through this program where I really got to choose all my classes and everything I was focusing on. 
Uh, I just had to get two professors to rubber stamp it, and they had to write a senior thesis paper, which was pretty mm-hmm. bad, by the way. And so I ended up graduating in four and a half years, and my parents were able to pay for my tuition. I was able to take jobs and pay for a lot of my living expenses. And so I had no debt, and I kind of discovered what I wanted to do, which is be in this world of alternative schooling and self-directed learning. And so I had a, I had a highly positive college experience, TK. Like, I'm very excited for this this discussion because you're helping me think about all these these things I loved about college. And of course, I'm going to generalize because I know not everyone has, has similar or even remotely close experiences. And my job uh, leading travel trips for teenagers and my career as a writer, neither required uh, in any formal way a bachelor's mm-hmm. degree. That's me. Mm. Awesome. I love it. Well, first, let me just say before I get, get into my background um, is that for me, I don't believe you have to have had a negative experience that you're bitter about in order to promote alternatives. I am with you. My college memories were actually quite positive. Um, I don't have any resentment. College didn't wound me or break my heart in any kind of way. So I just want to be very upfront about the fact that nothing I will ever say or do in life will be motivated by some sense of having been victimized by college. Um, you know, this is also true for me at the uh, lower levels of education where um, I, I went through public school all the way up until, not all the way up, but up until fifth grade. Then I did private school up until high school. And my memories of public school were quite positive. But if you listen to me talk about education, I'm a big proponent of homeschooling. I'm a big proponent of unschooling and all those types of things. And none of that comes from a space of being bitter about public school. I had a great time when I was a kid, but my educational philosophy over time has evolved and uh, my views are an expression of that. But uh, as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned, so my background, I went to the University of Western Michigan in Kalamazoo. I initially went on a theater scholarship and I studied theater. Uh, then I I changed over to philosophy and I eventually graduated with a with with a degree with double majors in philosophy and comparative religion. Those were my passions. Those were my interests at the time. My first job out of college was as a financial advisor with American Express. Was my degree necessary? That's debatable. Some people would say, even though you got hired in a field where your degree didn't prepare you for it, maybe they took you seriously because you had a degree. Maybe they wouldn't have looked at you had you not had the mm-hmm, degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure if you're wedded to that belief, that's not going to change your mind. But the way that I got that job is I picked up an interest in finance, even though I had never studied it formally. I had a mentor at my church at the time who was a financial advisor, and he would feed me books on financial literacy, and I would just inhale those books. I was so interested in it. And one day he said, you know, you're really good at this. You seem like you have a knack for it. Have you ever thought about being a financial advisor? And he called someone at American Express. He made an introduction. They gave me an interview. They were impressed by the interview and uh, they hired me. And, you know, they, they supported me through the process of studying for and procuring my financial licenses to do the job. So was my degree necessary? I don't think so. But you know that you know that that's debatable. No, yeah, impossible to yeah. disprove. Yeah, that, that was required. Yeah, and it's certainly not necessary for um, you know the work that I do today with Praxis, where I'm promoting higher education alternatives. I mean, we 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 would be we would be completely hypocritical to say that you don't have to have a college degree to create a successful 
and happy life and then say, but you got to have one to work for a program, <laughs> you know, based on that mission. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, uh, I have been clawing through my memory banks and kind of drawing up some old articles and some books that I've read to come up with the absolute best arguments that I really, really believe in for why the four-year college experience, although we can talk about you know community college being part of this too, um, is a valuable thing that somebody kind of on the cusp of making the decision of whether to go or not may, should consider going. Okay, so I, I'm going to throw them all at you, TK, and let, let's see how quickly, how many we can get through here. Wait, Blake, can I, can I offer a prefacing comment before we Please. get into that? Yeah, so I want to be very clear that for me, my framework for what is education is different from many people's framework. Many people like to start the conversation with what is the best kind of curriculum for young people who want to be successful? Or many people start the conversation with, you know, uh, what's, what's something that everyone under 30 should study in order to become a good citizen or something along those lines? And that's why we have these debates today about things like Common Core, because people like to fight over who gets to decide what everyone else should study, because the fundamental assumption is that education begins with what teachers think they ought to teach. For me, my working assumption is that education begins with the learner. And before we have a conversation about what path is best, we have to start with specific individuals and we have Mm -hmm. to say, what are the results you most want to create in your life? And then we advise on the basis of that. And this is very analogous to how my work as a financial advisor was. You don't walk up to a person on the street and say, oh, you want to create wealth? Well, you should put 10% of your income into a 401k. That might sound like good, fancy, responsible advice, but it's actually very irresponsible if Mm. you don't ask that individual specific questions about their tolerance for risk, Mm -hmm. about their income, Mm -hmm. about their amount of debt, and a host of other things. So I don't believe in blanket advice, and I am not against, in some blanket sense, people going to college or people seeing the college experience as valuable. What I am against is the dominant philosophy of our time that that teaches young people implicitly and explicitly that if they don't go to college, they need to be afraid. And that if they do go to college, it is more probable that they will be successful and happy. And that if they don't go, you need to be worried. That going is a higher probable path for success. That is something that I disagree with. Because even many people who claim to be proponents of many ways of education when it comes to the college topic, they get a little squishy with it mm-hmm. and they sort of they sort of treat it like, yeah, college isn't for everybody if you're a genius or you're just really uneducated. But for the majority of people who are not geniuses, it's for you. And I disagree with that. Yeah. When I hear someone say that, I'm imagine, imagining in their head, it's like, well, college isn't for everyone except that it is. And if your kid doesn't go, like they're screwed up. Uh, yeah. It's this blanket caveat that they don't really believe in. Okay, I'm going to jump in here. Uh, nice preface. I will try to give you specific examples of specific, you know, teenagers with specific motivations. Uh, my first one is for someone who wants a more serious academic environment. Uh, so you were in high school and you felt like nobody took. Ac- I'm, I'm talking about myself here, really. And you felt like felt like nobody took ac- academics seriously. There was not a real respect for ideas. Um, you could never go really deep into something. You couldn't have a, a long, free-flowing conversation. Then uh, 
if if that is what you're leaving high school with, then you should go to college. Okay. So so the the argument if I'm understanding correctly is that maybe you grew up in a social environment where you didn't get a lot of intellectual stimulation. And yes. so you should and, go to and college and specifically to get that. and specifically school left you hungry for that. Mhm. Mhm. So I want you to finish this argument for me. Tell me exactly what is college going to do to satiate that hunger? That's not an objection. That's a sincere question. Great. Okay. Well, this brings me into my next point. So I'm just going to merge them now. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go and you are surrounded by people who are all in this institution for four years or maybe more for the, the ostensible purpose of intellectual curiosity, and you are there with professors and graduate students um, so I guess I'm thinking about a, a university here that does have graduate programs. Um, then there is this very unique intellectual environment which is created, which which stimulates thought, which makes you um, see, you know, it's this whole exposure function. It makes you see things in the world that you couldn't see before and that it's, it's not impossible to create that kind of uh, intellectual environment outside of a traditional university setting, but it's very hard. Hmm. So, okay. So, I, I mean, clearly I, I disagree with that, but, uh, so a few things here first, let's establish context and, and let's make a distinction between the idealistic descriptions we might give as older people, you know, of what the purpose of college is mm-hmm. and the lived realities that are actually experienced by the majority of people who go to college. Okay. And, you and I have the benefit of being a couple of guys who actually went to college. And it sounds like we're both a couple of guys who did love good conversation about philosophical ideas. Yes, totally. And, 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 and I'd love to hear if your experience was different from mine, but I found that when I went to college, because I was, I was kind of a nerd, I wasn't the guy that everybody was begging to party with or anything like that, okay? Um, I found that it wasn't that easy to find lots of people that are always just eager and anxious to have intellectual discussion. And I found it, but I certainly had to assert myself and work for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, had, I had to work hard to make sure that I never missed office hours with my professors because those were the people that I had the best discussions with because a lot of my friends were more interested mm-hmm. in, in other things. And even then, I found that most of the people on college campuses were more interested in partying and, you know, chasing after girls and things along those lines than sitting around having a conversation about Aristotle. So I'm not saying that these conversations do not happen on college campus, but for me, college campus isn't all that different from the real world in the sense that if you want to have deep philosophical discussions, you definitely have to be creative in, in your efforts to find people that are interested in that sort of thing. Okay. Is that something you disagree with? That's the starting point. No, I fundamentally agree with you, but uh, I'm going to press my, the last thing that I said is that it's possible in the real world, but it's, sorry, the the world outside of college, but it is um, difficult. And, and I'm going to merge this with another thing that's on my list here, which is if you are an academically inclined and, and somewhat nerdy or dorky 18 to 22 year old, like college kind of has monopoly on all of the the young people you want to be hanging out with. Like, yeah, you can hang out with people of other ages, but but if you want to be having those kinds of, of nerdy, academic, philosophical uh, question uh, conversations, especially with people who have thought about this stuff a few years 
more than you have, but they're not like your parents or your parents' age. Like college has a virtual monopoly on those kinds of people. And so, yes, you can you could go move to a I say I write this in better than college. I say like you can you can go move to a college town and you can move into like a room and a house with college students and and you can create access for yourself to those kinds of groups. But but paying for college uh, is it's like this all access pass to this big clubhouse of of minds and and yes you have to fight sometimes to to find the best ones the ones who are most accessible but college really does make it easy by conglomerating them into one place yeah so i i do think it is a very good point for you to say that you don't have to pay for college for that that's an argument that Brian uh, Kaplan, the economist who wrote the book, The Case Against Education, makes. And, you know, he says, take it from me as an actual college professor. We we make very little effort to police the situation. You know, I I, I can't think of any time when I was in college where um, anyone ever drilled me about having a right to be, you know, uh, on the campus or anything along those lines. So I don't think you need to pay for it if that's what you value. So look, let me make an important concession because I don't want to sound like I'm dancing around the issue. Let me make an important conception. There is a social experience that is unique to a college campus. And if you are making a case for fun, for like going to an environment where you are around a bunch of people your age and you're 18 and, you, and your priority is to be around other 18-year-olds and to have fun, to not have a whole lot of real-world responsibilities, not have the same expectations that an adult would have if they're out there in the real world working a job or things along those lines. I have said elsewhere – that I can't think of a better environment for that than college. Yeah, yeah. Right? So if you're making the case for like an awesome social experience where I'm mostly around people my age and I can stay up really late, eat pizza really late, watch movies and, you know, party and stuff like that, I don't know if I can think of a better environment for, for college than that. I just don't think you need to pay for that. But the argument that you raised was about having in-depth philosophical discussion. And one of the things you said was this idea that, hey, if you're 18, 19 – and you crave that kind of discussion, you know, being around people your own age, this is the best environment. I completely disagree. And I'll just give you one example. And there are many like this. So I attended church when I was 18, 19, 20, 21. And I attended a fairly large sized church. And just like colleges, you get to choose your church. And just as if there are some colleges that are smaller and more social, than others. There are some churches that are smaller and more social than others. Um, and just like there are multiple colleges in a region, there are often, you know, multiple churches in a region. And what I found is that when I would attend church, I would meet a wide variety of people of many different ages who really loved wrestling with questions like, what is my purpose? What is the meaning of life? What constitutes right and wrong? What exactly is the truth? And how do we defend it? How do we define it? And in my years from, you know, the, the college age years, I got some of my best, deepest philosophical discussions from church. Now, this isn't a case that church is the only place to get it. But I'm using church as an example to illustrate a much more fundamental point, which is when you compare people who go to college, it's not sufficient to compare them to people who don't. Because what we're doing is we're making a categorical mistake. What I mean by that is to tell me that someone went to college is to tell me something very specific about what they positively did. To tell me that someone didn't go to college is to tell me nothing about what they positively did. 
So if the alternative to going to college is literally doing nothing but sit around and watch SpongeBob reruns all day, well then yeah, you need college, man, to make friends and have philosophical discussions. But you actually have to compare the social experience with other kinds of social experiences. And I think this is part of the problem. We have such a limited way of thinking about socializing, and I think a lot of this comes from the age segregation mindset that school cultivates in the earlier years, where we think there's something inherently more valuable or more superior about being around people of our own age. I completely reject that assumption. I think it's inconsistent with the record of what the majority of human history tells us. This is a relatively modern phenomenon where we quarantine people based on their age and they get to a point where by the time they're 18, they're mostly or only comfortable around 18 year olds. That's a pretty bad symptom of a pretty bad problem. But you can go to a church, you can go to a gym, you can go to a community center, you can go to a basketball game, you can go to the movies, you can go to a book club. And in today's age, I'm not arguing about the world that existed 15 to 20 years ago when you had to take a cat taxi cab to get around. Talking about today's world, you know, with online discussion forums, online communities, there are so many opportunities to socialize with people and meet people. And I would argue that this is not merely the theoretical supposition of some guy that's divorced from reality. You All you have to do is go on social media and you can see that 18-year-olds are better at this stuff than you would ever be. In fact, they're so good at it that it's actually quite frightening how good they are at reaching across the globe and meeting strangers. As adults who have to give an account for their behavior, we still don't know what to do about this yet because they're so good at meeting people that don't live in their own country or that don't live in their own city. Uh, to give you an example from Praxis, not to make this a commercial or anything, but every single week, our Praxis participants participate in workshops where they actually do get to engage entrepreneurs, they get to engage small business owners. They get to engage thought leaders, book writers, podcasters, philosophers, economists. They get to engage academics and non-academics alike. So I, I, I'm, I'm not sure where this idea could possibly come from that it's difficult to get this in the real world except okay. from either a lack of imagination or just not being <laughs> not being aware no, of what the options are. No, no, I think there's something beyond lack of imagination and and una- lack of awareness of the options. Uh, and, and first of all, you brought up Praxis, which is an organized program. Uh, and so we, I think we, as we move forward, we should be careful to distinguish between not going to college and then being totally independently self-directed, free of any institutions or organized programs, or signing up for an alternative to college like Praxis, which does facilitate these kinds of very positive experiences like what you're talking about. But here's what I wanted to say. This, this is my point exactly. <laughs> like, this is my point exactly. Yeah. So, for, 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 you know, for instance, there, there was a recent story. I, I'm not sure if you saw this in the media. There was a 30-year-old man whose parents took him to court because they couldn't get him out of their house. Um, and he was the perfect stereotype for, you know, kind of like, you know, the deadbeat millennial or what, ha- what have you. Mm-hmm. And this, and this guy was a college dropout. He didn't have a job or anything along those lines. So yes, if that's, if, if that's what the alternative to college looks like, then go to college because anything is better than that. And th- this is why I pointed out it's a categorical mistake to just compare, well, people, you know, going to college versus not going to college. So I don't think all forms of not going to college provide you with a social life, right? There are, there are bad ways to approach building a social life on a campus, and there are bad ways to build a social life outside of campus. 
But if we're going to make the argument that the best ways of building a social, a good social life on campus um, are either necessary or easier to obtain in the real world, then we've got to compare that to specific things. And that's why I gave you specific examples. Okay. Um, fair enough. In terms of building this social life with other, uh, yeah, they don't have to be your same age, uh, but people near your age and near your level of like intellectual development, um, I think that there are network effects. This is the same thing that happens with homeschoolers who are, you know, becoming adolescents. They want to be more social with their their general peer group. Like if you're living in a, a suburb of Chicago or you're in Los Angeles or you're in one of these places that have really robust um, homeschooling networks and there's a lot of homeschoolers around, then yeah, you're going to find lots of cool opportunities. There's co-ops, there's you know, park days are for little kids, but you know, they're like centers where teens hang out um, because you're not the only one there. But if you're out in rural Wyoming or something and you're the only homeschooler aged 13 to 18 within a 400 mile radius, uh, like you are seriously bereft of social opportunities. And so, it, of course, it's not quite that bad uh, if you're an 18 to 22 year old, but, but if all the other people who are roughly your age are going to college, then it's not an imaginary uh, detriment to, to say like, I want to have like long discussions that, that blend from philosophy into environmentalism, into economics, into mm-hmm. personal growth. And, and yeah, you might be able to find some adults through sort of civil society organizations mm-hmm. like churches as an example, but mm-hmm. it would be so much easier to just go to college and do that and okay, I'm going to stop right there because I have another thing to say, sure. but I'm getting ahead. Go ahead. Sure. But, but, but I, I still think there's some unfairness in this comparison because notice even in your own language, you're saying go to college, which implies that someone is getting off their butt, they're leaving the home and they are deliberately going into a different environment than their small town without any friends to put themselves in a position where they can build a social life. And we're comparing we're comparing that to the guy who lives in a small town uh, where there aren't a lot of people, and we're saying, see, going to college gives you better opportunities for a good social life than that. What I'm saying is, let's go to the example that you gave. The person who lives in Wyoming, I think you said, and they live in a small town, and they don't have a lot of, you know, it's not like living in Los Angeles, for instance, where it's easy to make friends. Okay, that's still a question that your position has to answer. Yeah, what do they do? Is I mean, is there a college campus right down the street? So, so no, right? Like nothing is easy from the default position of being in a place where it's not easy to make friends. So what you have to do is you have to make some changes. It might be go to college, okay? Or it might be move to a new city. But either way, you're going to have to get off your butt and get out there and put yourself in an environment where you can meet friends. And so if, if you get to say, the person who's sitting in a small town with no people in Wyoming gets that first initial step of going to college. Then I get to say, well, yeah, so my position also gets that first initial step of going to an environment where it's easier to meet people. So okay, I, I agree with your assumption that there are geographical spaces where it's harder to meet people. Yeah. But you're saying that the person from Wyoming could also just move to Los Angeles and, and make friends there. I'm saying if it's a legitimate move for them to move to Los Angeles because they're attending UCLA, 
Why is it all of a sudden a really illegitimate, difficult move for them to move to LA for reasons other than that? Yeah, I think we're getting into the realm of like what makes initiating social connections and friendships and small talk easy for some people and difficult for others. And and I think that the person that you're describing who's going to move from Wyoming to LA and move into the neighborhood of UCLA and try to connect with students there without paying the high price of actually going to UCLA, um, it needs to be highly extroverted needs to be not very neurotic, needs to be highly agreeable. I'm just going through the big five personality system here. You know, there's kind of a specific character, a set of character traits that uh, that enables this kind of boldness. So I I agree with you. I I, I agree with you. Let let me state where I agree with you. Really what you're saying, you're pointing out something that's more fundamental than college versus not college. You're pointing out that it's easier to make friends – not merely in an environment where there are lots of people, but also in an environment where you have a purpose for being there, right? Yes. Because, because yes. You're, you're conceding the point that a non-college attendee could move to LA, they could rent an apartment somewhere near the UCLA campus, and they can show up on campus every day. But even then, that's going to be really tough and really difficult because you don't have a purpose for being there that just puts you in a position where it's natural to start conversations with people and so forth. So I, I agree with you, and that's the more fundamental issue that play that at play. And, and this is why I stated earlier that if dropping out means I am not going to do anything on a positive level to prepare for my career or to mm-hmm. create my life – then yes, that is going to be a very difficult space Mm -hmm. from which you can make friends. But the reason that I gave the example of something like Praxis is because this would be an example of someone saying, I'm not going to college, but I'm also not going to sit around and watch SpongeBob reruns all day. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to college, but I am going to do something with my life. So in case it's not clear, my belief here is that you don't deserve any praise just because you drop out of college. I'm not impressed with you just because you say I don't go to college. You still need to do something with your life. You still need to have a purpose for getting up in the morning. And it is the combination of having a purpose and having an environment where you have the possibility of interacting with people that makes it easier to create a social life. Hey, I buy that right there. Great. (laughs) Let's move on. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Next argument. Learning through online classes, like gaining specific content and specific knowledge through online classes, like MOOCs, for example, is just a way worse experience than being in, like the lecture format still has something going for it. Like being in person, surrounded by other students and having a, you know, hopefully an engaging lecturer at the front of the class and then getting to go to discussion sections where there are grad students or maybe adjunct professors leading these these discussions like that is a qualitatively superior experience to then trying to get the same content uh through the internet which i think is where a lot of people go when they say ah you don't need college for learning stuff you can just learn it on youtube so so first i believe the people who quoted what you just said are correct but I also believe that you are correct. Um, let me explain what I mean. So, because I'm not sure we have a disagreement here 
other than I don't think what you said proves that college is necessary or anything like that. Because I think okay. you can get that in several other places. But where people are right is when they say, look, if the goal is to just get information, you don't need to pay top dollar to go to a university to get that because lots of top universities make that information available for free. So if you are a good self-directed learner, if you are someone who enjoys learning in that way, and there are people like that, you don't need to pay for that. It's right there. And, and I believe that they are correct. That doesn't mean you can't go to college or anything, but I believe those people are right. But I also believe you are right when you say that there's something about the learning experience that for many people is both more enjoyable and more effective when it is social or communal in nature. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think it's possible today to compete at the level of making content available. In the information age where anyone can get any content for free, the, 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 the people that lead the future are people that can create effective communal experiences around the learning process. So mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with you that you need to have peers that you can argue with and that you can discuss things with. I agree with you that you need experts that you can argue with and that you can discuss things with. And mm -hmm. beyond that, you need experiences where you can put what you are learning to practice in the marketplace. So we, we totally agree on that. And it's one of the reasons why in the Praxis program, we have these weekly workshops and we have learning groups as well where every single participant is paired up with a cohort of other participants. It can be like anywhere from 15 to 30 other participants that are moving through the program at the same pace as them. And they're constantly in, you know, in their online forums, in their weekly group discussions, arguing and discussing things and having conversations with experts who give them feedback. Now, let me point out a weakness for college in this arena. One of the weaknesses for college in this arena is that your experts are, for the most part, professors, right? Um, and it's typically, you know, one expert per subject. Um, and you are in this space where for most of your time, the work that you will do in order to integrate what you're learning into your everyday life will be work that takes place outside of the marketplace. So you, you, don't, you don't need to do anything as far as your classes are concerned that can result in you making or losing money, you know, outside of, you know, just flat out failing the classes and dropping out and wasting your parents' money or whatever. Um, but in the real world, the incentives for learning through a creative process like an apprenticeship uh, experience are much different. So let, let me give you an example. If you are in an English class and you write a paper that's mediocre, it's not horrible, it's not terrible, it's not great, you know, you can get a C and you can pass the class. In the real world, the incentives are different. In the real world, when you write a book um, and it's mediocre, it just may not get read at all. Or mm -hmm. in, in, in college, you can write a book and if your professor says, well, this isn't good writing, kind of like how your professor might say about J.K. Rowling's literature or a lot of terrible literature that we see out there in the world, you might not get a good grade. In the real world, however, maybe you can find 5,000 people who really like your book and you can build a following around that and you find something that works. So when you do this stuff in the real world, in the context of marketplace-driven experiences, the incentives are so different that you might even learn in different ways. Not might, you actually do learn in different ways. So I think there's actually an advantage where in apprenticeships, 
like what we do, you get all of that stuff that you just described in college, but you actually get some things that college isn't set up to provide. So we uh, agree on everything. I, ju I just don't think college is necessary for that. Uh, okay. I'm going to jump ahead of my notes to where I'm going to quote from one of my favorite books, Excellent Sheep by William DeResowitz. Are you familiar with this book? I am not. TK, you have to go read this book immediately. It mm. makes the best case for getting an an unspecialized four-year liberal arts degree that I've ever read. It's just phenomenal. And it's mostly focused on, on elite colleges and, mm. and kind of that experience and in one way defending it and in another way um, critiquing it. There's a lot of criticism in the book about how it's, it's, it's not great and how it's not worth the investment sometimes. But um, I'm going to read you a quote or maybe two quotes from Excellent Sheep that that push back against just what you said about how the marketplace can provide these kinds of experiences that college can't, because he's really, Duresowitz is arguing in the complete 180 degree opposite direction from you. Okay, so first quote is, you need to get a job, but you also need to get a life. What's the return on investment in college? Well, what's the return on investment of having children, spending time with friends, listening to music, or reading a book? The things that are most worth doing are worth doing for their own sake. Anyone who tells you that the sole purpose of education is the acquisition of negotiable skills, by that I interpret that as job skills, is attempting to reduce you to a productive employee at work, a gullible consumer in the market, and a docile subject of the state. What's at stake when we ask what college is for is nothing less than our ability to remain fully human. Oh my God. Okay, so it's a bit philosophical there. Mm -hmm. um, let me read you one more quote before you respond, just so I can get it out mm -hmm. on the table. Um, this one's a little bit more practical. He says, college is an opportunity to stand outside the world for a few years between the orthodoxy of your family and the exigencies of career and contemplate things from a distance. It offers students the precious chance, as Al Andrew Del Banco has put it, to think and reflect before life engulfs them. You can start to link it. You can learn to think in high school, but your parents are still breathing down your neck and your teachers are teaching to the test in one respect or another. College should be different. An interval of freedom at the start of adulthood, a pause before it all begins. So he's making the argument that the, the marketplace is not, and a job or an internship or an apprenticeship is not uh, even remotely comparable to college because there are no practical financial uh, market-based demands on your work. You can truly live in the world of, of ideas for, for at least a little while. How does mm -hmm. that strike you? Well, as an entrepreneur and a non-bureaucrat, it strikes me very differently than how it might strike most people. Because as an entrepreneur, I, I don't have the luxury of, by, of, of telling the world, here's what education is for and here's what you need. As an entrepreneur, I have to start with my customers saying, hey, what do you want? What do you value, right? Now, I can get into arguments about, about what I think they should value, and such arguments are fun, and you know, I, I enjoy a, a bit of healthy philosophizing as much as anyone else, but I, you know, this idea that education is for stepping away from the world, or education is about more than building skills, sure, if that's what the student wants it to be about. You know, education is any environment where a voluntary learner chooses to make themselves available to the insights and experiences that an expert facilitator can create. 
and the learner gets to decide what it's for. So when someone walks into a piano class and they say, I want to pay $100 a week for piano lessons, is it my place to say, hey, young man, education isn't for learning music so that you can impress the girls at school? Let's assume that that's what the guy says, right? He says, I want to learn piano because I want to impress the girls at school. It's not my place to say, that's not what education is for. What you need to do is read some Aristotle because education is about stepping back from the world and contemplating things from a bigger picture. I, I get to play that part if I want to. I get to try to influence him to think in my direction, but ultimately he gets to decide if, if the kid wants to learn piano for reasons that you know perhaps are a little shallow, more shallow than what my reasons would be. He's the learner. It's his time. It's his interest. It's his curiosity. Uh, uh, I, I'm available for that. So if you want to pay your money to go have an experience where you get to step away from real world responsibility so that you can contemplate, why would I object to that? My theory of education says it begins with the learner. So if that's what you would want, why would I debate that? In the same way, if you are someone who says, yeah, that sounds nice and fancy, but I don't care about all that stuff. What I want to do is I want to own a house by age 22. What I want to do is I want to be debt free and I want to develop some real world skills and start my career early. Why would I debate against that? And that's the problem. I don't think there is anyone in my position debating against people voluntarily spending their money to be isolated from the world so that they can contemplate Aristotle. But there are people on the opposite position arguing against the people who say, I don't want that. I want to start my career at age 19. That's my problem. If you truly uh, believe okay. that education begins with the learner, why would you why would you have a problem with what he said? So, so you're saying for kids who are like, I don't really care about any of this uh, ideas and thinking stuff, but it sure sounds like a great party for four years. And I heard that college graduates make more money. And so obviously it's worth going into to debt for you know four or five years to, to have this college experience. Yeah, if, if that is who we're talking about, um, then yeah, no matter how many years of college they do, they might not get that kind of experience, that kind of like developing the life of the mind or, you know, deep contemplation. Um, no, I, I'm not assuming that's what we're talking about. Though. Okay. I, I, I'm, okay. I'm being charitable to, to what you just quoted. And I'm assuming that the experience he just described is really happening. And, and, and okay. what I'm saying is, why would anyone, including me, want to debate against a human being saying, I am voluntarily spending my time and money for an experience that I prioritize? To well, me, because that, the, there's yeah, a lot ahead. of people out there who are debating against this. And they're saying, like, if you don't go into college with a very specific uh, career aspiration, then you are wasting your time there because you're just going to get, like, talk about whatever, uh, you know, philosophers and you're going to learn some some English, you're going to learn some, some stupid social theories and you're going to waste your time there. And it's not worth it to get exposed to all these different fields of thought that you might not have considered before unless you have a very specific economic outcome. Like that is a very popular counter argument right now. And people in your field, in the sort of like alternative to college, get trained as an entrepreneur type field, that is a commonly bandied about argument. So, so a few things here. So first, I find it quite interesting that we're protesting that argument when it's made to people who go to college, but we depend on that argument heavily and we make it predictably. 
when people say they don't want to do college. The first thing you hear, the first thing you have to put up with when you say, I don't think college is right for me, is all of this data about income statistics and your lifetime earnings and how you might be making a scary, irresponsible decision. So I just think that's interesting that we're protesting challenging people who go to college, which is what the majority of people should, which is what the majority majority of people do on grounds that they need to have economic reasons and think about it. We're protesting that, but we rely on that argument when it comes to dropouts. I, I think there's an inconsistency there that should be pointed out. The second thing, as, as wonderful as it is to make high sounding statements about college not being a purely economic thing, we have to be honest about the fact that it is an economic thing when it's time to pay the bills. So you can't argue that knowledge is priceless when, you know, um, when you're selling it, but then abandon that argument when it's time for people to pay you back for what you sold them. And while I have no problem with people making decisions that don't factor in the money, I do think it's a bit unfair to protest arguments that say to young people, if you're going to make a very expensive decision, you should think critically about why you as an individual are choosing to make that decision. You should not go into debt or pay a lot of money for something just because everybody else is doing it. I may not agree with your reasons for doing it, but you should think about what those reasons are. And you know what, Blake? You know what's interesting about this? Is that is something that we do to people who drop out of college. We never let people who drop out of college get away from our presence without making sure we drill them with all sorts of difficult philosophical questions that the average 30-year-old can't even answer. And yet, somehow, when people go to college, we're just sort of like, hey, congratulations for getting accepted into college. Hmm. I accept your point about the uh, the differing treatment. Uh, okay, you're getting into the the return on investment, the payback from college, and and how if someone's going to drop out or not go, we we say ah, but how will you ever make money? Let's talk about that. And, and I'm sure you've already spent a lot of time talking about this. But here is what I have written down in my notes: best argument for college, the economic argument. Um, there are many careers, the most obvious of which are licensed careers in medicine, for example, or law. Um, I know you don't have to have a degree to take the, the bar, but uh, functionally, everyone goes through law school. Um, uh, science doesn't really have like credentials in the same way of, of like government-mandated credentials, but functionally, it's a credential system where you have to have uh, – you know, a, a PhD to do anything real in the world of science. And so there are all these professional fields, not all of them, but many of them, where you are restricted from practicing in those fields without the appropriate degree. And then on top of that, and I think this is, you know, this is where it gets a little bit mushy. Um, there are many jobs out there that don't have formal restriction, but there is a functional restriction against somebody without a bachelor's degree or sometimes a master's degree. Um, getting a title. So it might be that you can get your foot in the door without the bachelor's degree, but then somebody, some ceiling is going to be there and somebody is going to, to tell you, you can't become the manager. Um, you know, you can't move up in this company unless you have a degree. And and it's hard to quantify this thing, um, but it, it does exist. And, and it exists in such a severe way internationally. Um, you know, there, 
in European countries and South American countries and Asian countries, it's, it is actually like a barrier without a degree. Nobody will like talk to you. And so we're, we're relatively lenient in the U S and flexible about people having non-traditional credentials or no credentials at all. And so I think we have it pretty good comparatively Mm -hmm. speaking, but still when people say, how will you ever make a good amount of money? If they, by good amount of money, they mean the amount of money that a professional in the upper middle class of America makes today, which you know is probably something like eighty thousand or a hundred thousand or or more per year. Um, and they say, "How will you do that without college?" Like they they have a point. When we're talking about the majority of professional uh, careers, I know tech is a huge exception to this, um, but ugh, there you go. There you go. Deal with that one, DK. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot packed in there. I see about four different issues, and I'm going to try to hang on to them, and I'm just going to trust you to push back or remind me on anything. All right, I'll do my best. Coming up. Okay. So first, let's deal with the the overall economic argument, which you know you're, you're pointing out that you're going to make less money if you don't go to college. We're just going to accept that as a working assumption that you're, you're going to make more money. That's on average, on average, on average. Yeah. We, we, there are exceptions, but on average, you're more likely to make more money. Okay. So the first problem with this that I have, and, and there are many, but the first problem I have with this is I think for the most part, we as a society are pretty hypocritical in our application of this logic. And when I say we're hypocritical, maybe that's too strong of a word. I don't mean that we, are deliberately so, but I mean, but I I believe that we have a hidden bias based on conditioning that makes us apply this logic inconsistently. So first, let's understand what the economic argument is not even purporting to prove. It does not say that if you opt out of college, you will be homeless and that you can't feed your family. It does Correct. not say right. It, it just says that on average, your income will be less, and 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 in some cases, depending on how we're making the comparisons, that gap can be pretty significant. And so this is this is an argument not about homelessness versus having a job. It's an argument about maximizing your income potential and how you're potentially leaving a lot of money on the table if you choose to opt out of the college mm-hmm. route. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So if we look at the the structure of that argument in logical form, this is what it looks like. And I want you to correct me if I'm wrong because I want to proceed step by step. The logical form of the argument is this. If path X leads to greater lifetime earnings on average than path Y, path X is superior to path Y. Uh, I mean, money is good. That sounds like the argument. Okay, all right. So if that argument is good, then the argument is a little too good because it now proves some things that I don't think the people who use that argument want it to prove. And I'll give you one example. Uh, one of the most popular majors among men is general psychology. One of the lowest paying majors for men is general psychology. One of the highest paying majors for men is electrical engineering. One of the least popular majors for men is electrical engineering. If you compare the income of electrical engineering based on median annual salary with general psychology, the projections are nearly $40,000 more per year. It's, it's, it's nearly twice as much. That's a okay, lot that, of money. That's en- entry-level wages, right? Uh, median annual salary. I'll, median I'll, I'll, annual. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. 
um, that so so and, and and what I'm saying here, I'm I'm comparing people who go to college major to major, right? So there there are majors that have really great salaries, not just starting salaries, but median salaries and, and, and greater, greater career lifetime earnings mm-hmm. than other majors, right? So, mm-hmm. so I mean, you, you can even root you can even make a simple Google search and I will share with you, you know, some documents as well if you want to share them in, in your links, but mm-hmm. look up your top five paying majors, for instance, and look at your bottom five paying majors, for instance, and the gap can, is huge. Can right? I, can I guess which one is top and which one is bottom? See if I'm I'm still oh, like, like 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 some examples. Yeah, yeah. No, sure. uh, well, I, I'm gonna guess the highest paying major is petroleum engineering, and the lowest paid is uh, like early childhood education. So I, I don't know like the lowest and the highest, but I do know like the ones that are among the highest. And so yeah. you're definitely right. Like uh, like uh, among the lowest are are disciplines like social work, sociology, uh, child care, family development. Mm-hmm. General mm-hmm. psychology, Spanish, mm-hmm. communications, music, that theater. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and among the higher ones, like most of your engineering, you know, mechanical engineering, chemical engineering, uh, um, things along those lines. Um, now, I point this out. I point this out because what's interesting is that, like in the example that I gave you, the majority of men are not flocking to the major that's going to maximize their income potential. They are leaving a lot of money on the table. They're actually taking on an income gap that's about as significant as the income gap between college and not college. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, is, this is the majority. So if this argument is good, then that means we have an epidemic on our hands that is much bigger than college dropouts because two out of three high school students go to four-year colleges. So that means the majority of people who are not paying attention to this argument are people that go to college and they pick majors based on something other than maximizing their income. You know, it, it, it's funny to me because when you, when you look in the media, we, we get stories like this almost every other year. Um, I believe it was Time Magazine who recently ran uh, a special cover issue where they talked about um, teachers who struggle to make a living wage, teachers mm-hmm. who, you know, just I, don't I make enough that. money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a very, um, I would say that's a very um, uh, fair position to hold that you can get a lot of people to agree with you on. Uh, but the interesting thing to me, and, and I have I have no problem with teachers making as much money as they can. I want educators to make all the money they can possibly make. Uh, but what's interesting to me is that education has a reputation for being one of those disciplines, right? I mean, you don't have too many people who go into teaching because they wanna become rich, right? Um, When people go into something like education, they go into it because of some reason like, well, this is the right fit for me, this is my passion, this is in accord with my sense of purpose, this is what I love. And what's astonishing to me is that people accept that. What's astonishing to me is I hardly ever hear people warning or worrying about all of the elementary education majors for not going into electrical engineering. What's astonishing to me is I hardly ever hear anyone talking to the people that are in social work and sociology and general psychology and communications and Spanish and theater and music and all of these fields and telling them, hey, look, you can make almost twice as much if you go into this major here. People don't seem to care because 
they accept as a valid answer something along the following lines. I understand that I'm leaving a lot of money on the table by taking this career path, but this is what I believe in. This is what means a lot to me. This is what I feel strongly about. This is what I think is a good fit for me. This is what accords with my sense of purpose. And I believe that it's best to take a chance on myself. I believe that my chance of creating a happy, fulfilling, successful life is by doing something that I believe I can be good at, even if it's not part of a discipline that supposedly guarantees me based on the statistical data that I'm going to make the most amount of money. But for whatever reason, we forget the fact that we accept that as a perfectly valid argument when it comes to dropouts. I think that's interesting. Interesting, yes. Uh, And that's part of... Uh, that's a good retort to part of what I was saying about uh, about the, ac- the the monetary value of a university degree. Sure, uh, what I, about I, I, the, I know you had several points, so I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so and and so, I want you to keep going and talk about the access issue. How you can't even get your foot in the door. You're either legally prohibited or you are functionally prohibited by the culture um, of getting your foot into the door of a large number of organizations, many of which. Um, offer relatively high-paying jobs in our society. Sure. Now, let's separate those two because they are very, very different. Like the, the legal condition means that there are certain fields where it is illegal to practice them without certain kinds of credentials, okay? Um, now, in, in that case, the first thing I want to say is if you are determined to practice something and there is only one legal way for you to do it, then you should do it the legal way, right? Now, I've met people that disagree with me on this, but this is my opinion on it. You know, if if it's illegal to practice law and you want to practice law and that's your reason for going to law school, as I I said earlier, why would I want to get in the way of that? I, I don't have any kind of vested interest in in arguing for some point of view that says no one should ever go to college right now i would argue that we should challenge people who go to college in the same way that we challenge people who drop out but i'm not one of those people who believes in harassing people so look there are laws that apply to certain things and until we figure out a way to innovate around those laws or get those laws overturned that is an inconvenience that we're going to have to deal with however That's never a fact we should trump out with pride and with glee. That should make us very sad. It should make us very sad that we live in a world where the opportunities to innovate through the free market are artificially restricted, you know, through law. And I know that's a a broader topic and that's not one you need to accept as true uh, in order to give up (laughs) saying here. Thanks. We'll we'll just table that one for now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We'll we'll have to table that one, but I I don't think that's necessarily anything to be glad about. But, but here's the more interesting thing about that fact. The overwhelming majority of college majors don't focus on those subjects anyway. So, so I, I think it's kind of interesting that whenever a conversation about alternative education comes up, The first thing that people say is, yeah, well, there are some disciplines that require you by law to have a degree. So take that. Okay. okay. They drop it like a bombshell. And and, and, and my question to those people is, okay, so if I give you those people, will you give me the others? Because the whole world just got revolutionized if your answer is yes. Because the overwhelming majority of people are over in some other place like anthropology, like sociology, like music, like theater, like social work, like religious studies, like theology, like economics, and so on. Okay, let's talk about all those people. 
Okay, so 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 what do we need to say about them? The, the ones who are not legally prohibited, but are often functionally prohibited by the, for example, a very large organization which needs to filter out its thousands and thousands of applicants, and it uses a bachelor's degree or a master's degree as not the only metric, but the primary metric of getting through the first round of cuts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first thing we need to do is make a distinction between uh, a matter of fact and a matter of principle. So a matter of fact is something that is true based on current conditions and circumstances. So if I say the Golden State Warriors are the best team in the NBA, that is a matter of fact. Um, you know, based on whatever statistical arguments you might make, defending champions, most talent on a single team, etc. A matter of principle, however, is something that is true based on some kind of unchanging, timeless principle or law. Okay, so things can be true as a matter of fact, but not true as a matter of principle. So when I say the Golden State Warriors are the best team in the NBA, that is true as a matter of fact. But it's not true as a matter of principle because it's quite possible that in two months that might not be true or in two years that might not be true. It's very probable that in 10 years that won't be true. So whenever we make observations about how the world works, it's important that we don't confuse these two things because sometimes an accurate description of how things are tricks us into believing that that is how things must be, that we're dealing with some kind of non-negotiable reality. And that assumption prevents us from thinking critically and making interesting discoveries. So now, what does it have to do with your question? The idea that college degrees, even where they are not legally required, are part of a kind of uh, cultural requirement where no one explicitly states it, but they won't take you seriously if you don't have a college degree. I'm going to concede your point this might be a surprise. People might be getting nervous. I'm going to concede your point that that happens to be true as a matter of fact, not as a matter of principle. There's nothing about the laws of physics that make it this way. Uh, there is no commandment that God sent down to the earth that says thou must have a college degree. But as a matter of fact, it's true. Now that we've conceded that, we can ask ourselves, why is that true? Okay, why is that true? Because a college degree functions as a kind of signal. It functions as a signal that says some very important things to people that are considering taking the financial risk of hiring someone they don't know. Okay? Uh, it says things like, I know how to show up and complete things. It says, I know how to follow instructions. It says, I have a certain amount of social intelligence. I know how to conduct myself I know how to behave myself in an environment where there are other people. It says at a certain base level, at least, I know how to get along with others. There are all sorts of things you need to be able to do in order to get to the point where you have a bachelor's degree and having that degree signals to employers some very valuable things. Isn't that amazing? T.K. Coleman just conceded the point that a college degree is not useless. <laughs> I told you I'm not anti-college. I'd like to point out we had – Brian Kaplan on the podcast uh, a few episodes back, and so we heard a lot about signaling from from him. And and, and you're you are right in line. You, you are right in line with what Kaplan is saying. Please continue. Yeah, and 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 this is actually I want to push back here and make it clear that this is also what you are arguing when you say that there is this kind of invisible requirement. You're you're making the case yeah. that that yeah. that college that a college degree is kind of like a signal 
that says I'm the right kind of person, right? That, that, that differentiates me, you know, like if I'm an employer and I'm looking for valuable talent, it's very important to me that I don't waste my time and money. And so I need every filter I can get that's going to allow me to differentiate the higher value people from the people that, you know, might just be wasting my time by yeah, putting yeah. in applications, right? And a college Completely. degree is yeah. a pretty, pretty easy way to do that. Okay, so now that we've identified that's what its value is, then we can concede the point that if that is the best available signal, then you gotta have it, okay? If that's the best signal, you gotta have it. But here's the interesting thing. In every case outside of college degrees being legally required, whenever people are able to produce a better signal, the college degree immediately becomes negotiable. So let me actually read to you something that I shared, an excerpt from something that I shared on Facebook today. There was an article by the CEO of Upwork, and it was titled, The Future of Work Won't Be About College Degrees, It Will Be About Job Skills. And I can, I can send you the link. It was on CNBC.com. And one of the things he says here um, in this article is that as a leader of a technology company and former head of engineering, I've hired many programmers during my career. And what matters to me is not whether someone has a computer science degree, but how well they can think and how well they can code. In fact, among the top 20 fastest growing skills on Upwork's latest skills index, none require a degree. More and more companies are catching on. Last year, PwC began a pilot program allowing high school graduates to begin working as accountants and risk management consultants. And this August, Job's website, Glassdoor, listed 15 more companies that no longer require a degree, including tech giants such as Apple, IBM, and Google. Increasingly, Glassdoor reported, there are many companies offering well-paying jobs to those with non-traditional education or a high school diploma. I, I, I conclude, it is therefore imperative that we encourage more options to thrive without our current over-reliance on college degrees as proof of, of ability. We need new routes to success and hope. Now, what is he telling us? What is the CEO of Upwork telling us? The CEO is telling us that whenever people are able to signal their reliability and their capacity to create value in a way that is just as good or better than the college degree, companies are showing over and over again that they're willing to hire those people because the college degree offers an imperfect, albeit useful solution to the knowledge problem, to the trust problem. How do I know I can trust you? And what's interesting about the world that we live in today is that the unique tools of our time, and it's only changing ever more rapidly, the unique tools of our time provide us with alternative mechanisms for signaling uh, our ability to create value. Uh, okay, okay, I gotta catch you off here. Um, right. Yes, Upwork CEO who's talking about tech companies. Yes, I, I saw that article too about Google and, and Microsoft and whoever saying we don't technically require college degrees, even though they're still mostly hiring people with advanced college degrees. Um, and yes, to your argument that if something can be better signaled, if a, if a mm -hmm. skill set and a, and a character trait set can be better signaled, um, then the college degrees does it, then then you don't need the college degree as much. And that is what is happening in no, no, tech. No, no, you don't need it at all. You don't need it at all. If, if, uh, if okay, well, it's, it's not worthless, but its value diminishes. 
if when there's a, a better rival signal. No, um, no, no, stronger than that, stronger than that, that, that the argument for its necessity falls on its face. If you have a superior signal, then it becomes false to say that it is necessary for obtaining a good job. That argument no longer works. Okay, okay, narrowly defined, yes. Yeah. But, but the majority of kids who are going to college um, are looking for some sort of generalized signal that will you know, let them get their foot in the door of a publishing house, or if not that, maybe a, I don't know, a charitable nonprofit, or maybe they get really interested in working with, I don't know, sustainable tricycle manufacturing in Madagascar. I'm just pulling this out of my butt here. Um, and, and they are looking for that generalized signal. And I, and I think that this is, this is the most common case of sort of the like kind of confused, kind of aimless kid who's like, well, I, I can get into college. I'm bright in, in that academic sense. And so should I go or not? And and when you're saying they shouldn't go because because people in tech can have a better signal. No, 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 no. I'm not saying they shouldn't go. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but that, I'm that, saying that, like yeah, for these kids who are like generally interested in in keeping their options open that they have a very strong practical case at this moment in history. You know, I hope it changes, but at this moment in history, they have a, a very strong case for saying, I should just get some degree that I hopefully don't hate. And that will open up so many doors to so many jobs, jobs that I can't even conceive of right now. And and so therefore, it's a worthwhile investment, even if I'm not really sure why I'm going. Okay, so we, we, we need to make sure we're not moving the goalposts. And I'm not accusing you of doing that, but I want to make I, sure I we might don't be moving the goalposts. Okay. I want to know if I'm moving the goalposts. Okay. Tell okay. me. So there are two different claims on the table here. We began having a discussion where you're asking me to respond to a very specific kind of argument for the necessity of a college degree, right? That, that the argument was there is a cultural requirement that you have a degree and that mm-hmm. you, you, you can't get jobs without it and, or, or, or that, you know, it, it, it's, it's highly unlikely. I gave a counter argument showing how the world is changing in a very radical way. And, and, and more importantly, my counter argument didn't merely appeal to examples of how it's changing, but I also made an argument based on the college degree functioning as a signal. And, and I showed how if you can create a superior signal, the argument for the necessity of a degree is therefore false. N- now in your response to me, you're, you're appealing to people saying, yeah, but this is the experience that I really want. And college is something that I think is valuable to me. And, 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 so, and so that- No, that, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying for someone who doesn't know exactly what kind of job they want, let's just talk in narrow economic terms. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, Who knows if they want to you know, go to college and, and they're going to enjoy that experience or not. They're just like, I'm investing in my future- and since I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, it's like maybe I can go into tech and, and I wouldn't need a degree, but maybe I'll have to go into – I'll decide I want to go into one of these other fields. I want to keep my options open. And, and so I, I just don't think that the tech caveat disproves the uh, my, my argument. Okay. So, so first I want to point out that uh, this is not a tech caveat, right? So I, I don't run a coding boot camp. Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that, that I do in my work with Praxis, so 
I just need to be clear because, you know, there, there are lots of people listening out there who may not know me. I'm not a professor. I'm not a theoretician. I, I don't make my living by writing books about this. I, I'm literally working every day in the alternative education space, and I work directly with participants every day, and we're helping them launch their careers in non-tech spaces without college degrees. So this is something that we're doing. I'm, I'm not here telling you I hope to do this and that I hope the world accepts this. I'm not here telling you here's a theoretical belief, right? I'm here saying you don't have to like it. You don't have to send your kid to the program. But what I'm saying is this is a reality that is happening right now. People around the world are stepping up and saying what we care about is hiring the best talent for the role. And if you can signal that these people are reliable, that they're ready to work, and that they're hungry, we don't care if they have a degree or not. And we are placing those people in apprenticeship. So, so I want to make sure that this is not something that is just limited to, okay, you know, fine, a, a few coders over here, a few developers over here. This is happening, happening across multiple industries, and, and it's only getting bigger. That's the first thing. Okay, okay. But, but before you move on, TK, I'm yeah. on the Praxis website right now, and it says the apprenticeship will place you in a software startup or a growing media company. It sounds, it says it's okay if you're not a tech type. There's also non-technical roles like sales and marketing. Um, but it it does kind of look like you're putting people in tech startups. Is that wrong? Because that's the impression I get from a cursory examination of the website. Yeah, so so that has to be a very cursory examination because we we, we say all the time that startups are are not just for coders. Um, we we have uh, and, and we do make it explicitly clear and I, and I and you acknowledge okay, this, so good, I'll be fair good. that you you did acknowledge that 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 we tell you that you don't need to have tech skills. So on the on the page of the website, what it actually says is the degree is dead. You need experience. We'll help you find and build your skills, then put them to work in a startup apprenticeship. That's the literal verbatim statement of the copy. Okay, I, our, I, and yeah. I and I think startup just makes a lot of people think tech, which I realize is not a, a fair connection, but it is a connection that a lot of people make. To, to, totally understandable. Totally understandable. Um, but you know, we have people working in operations, in marketing, and sales um, as well. You know. Okay. Um, and, Good. And, and there are aspects to the tech world that that don't even involve, you know, um, you know, being a, a programmer or a developer. But I, I just wanted to make sure that we don't restrict. Okay. But but you you were taking me somewhere, and I, I don't want to lose our point. Yeah, please. No, no, no. I, I was making a, a point. You were taking us somewhere. I don't want you to lose your point. Okay. Okay. So I, I I made the point that it's not just about tech. Okay. But but you're bringing up the person who says, "Hey, look, I I don't I don't know." Um, you know, what I want to do. Uh, and, and, and I'm not sure if I have a, a specific interest or something mm-hmm. along those lines. So I just want to have kind of a, a general signal. So I just want to point out how dangerous this way of thinking is. And, and, and Blake, I'm sorry, but this is something that makes me <laughs> sad when I hear it because it indicates just how lazy as a culture we have become in, in our mindset of thinking that college is going to take care of you. That, that somehow by you getting a nebulous general degree without being able to create any specific kind of value that, uh, yeah, you, you'll, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. You know, yeah, if you don't know what you want to do, because remember the, the example that you gave me is someone that doesn't know what they want to do, right? That yeah. You don't know what yeah, you want to yeah, do. Yeah. So, so, so just kind of get, get yourself something, something general. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and go, we're go ahead. Tear, tear it up. apart. 
tear it apart. <laughs> yeah. We're setting kids up to have a mindset of believing that someone is going to want to hire you when you just kind of, yeah, what do you want to do, kid? I, I, imagine, imagine, think about this from a business owner's perspective. You know, and I think about this from an entrepreneur's perspective, not an academic perspective. Think about if you're interviewing someone, okay? If you say, hey, you know, I need people to help me out with my media and I'm looking for someone to be, assist, to be an assistant and play this role, you're gonna be looking for someone with specific skills and, and you interview two people and one person says, well, I'm not really sure what I wanna do, um, but this seems like it's something that's worth trying and I have a, a, a degree in, uh, in general psychology and um, I'm just open. Okay, that's that's great. That's cool. We're, we're, no need for us to be mad at that person. But then someone else says, Blake, I'm a big fan of your your podcast. My dream is to work in media and to promote messages about alternative education and to create compelling media content around it. Here's my portfolio, a, a podcast that I did, you know, for the past year where I interviewed different people in the alternative. Yeah, I want I want to hire that person. A a absolutely right now. You may say, yeah, TK, but this is not fair because you're painting a picture of that other person as if they're just some, you know, general person with general goals and no specific aims. And I would say to that, but that's the person that you gave me in the analogy. And it's dangerous because colleges are producing people exactly like that. And these people are frustrated. They don't know who to blame. They're angry because they can't get hired. They don't like their jobs. They're not being taken seriously as they thought they would be. And they're, they're they're reacting to the world by saying, well, wait a minute, I did everything that I was told. I jumped through the hoops. I got my degree and no one wants to hire me. Well, here's the open secret. No one is going to pay you money for any other reason than them having a belief that it is more expensive for them to not hire you. People are going to pay you money, not because of how good you feel about a degree you have, but because of problems that you can solve for them and their organization that's going to allow them to meet the missions of their organization. So if you want anyone to hire you, you have to get specific. You have to get specific about the value you can create, about the skills that you can bring to the table, about the passion that you have for their mission. It's like going on a date. You can't go on a date and tell someone, yeah, I'm just here because I'm just, you know, I just thought it would be nice to talk to a human being. No, you have to tell that person, you know, you seem like an interesting person and I wanted to get to know you, you know, and, so and, and, and we're not teaching people to think like that when we tell them, yeah, just go get yourself a general signal. I think that's, okay, I think but, that's but terrible I, advice. I, I think you are describing a failure of colleges in general to um, give any sort of like how to launch into your first job uh, practical skills. And I'm sure that there are colleges yeah, out there I, I that think do an, do that. I think there's an abysmal failure on that end. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so- and It's not even um, set up to, to teach those kinds of practical skills. The environment is not even conducive to it. So yes, I, I do believe that. Yeah. So so that might be something that, that could be patched and uh, w without throwing out the college degree as a general signal. And, oh man- Man, we got to get Brian Kaplan on this. We should have like a four-way interview. <laughs> get Isaac on this because uh, there's so much good content here. We are already running uh, far over time, TK. Um, and and so I, I'm fine if you want to keep going. It sounds like like you're wrestling with something. I want to make sure that I'm. If you think I'm being unfair to your argument, okay. I, I want to okay. have an intellectually honest discussion. I'm I'm here. I'm with you. Okay, I, I'm going to give you the same argument in one other way. Then let's wrap it up. 
Okay. Let's say you have a kid. You are guiding your child through the education system. And let's just, whatever, whatever they did in K through 12, um, they're thinking about higher education. And your kid is not the kid who has the specific passion. Okay. Most they, kids don't. Most kids don't. Most 30 year olds okay. don't. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the types, when you say, what kind of jobs are you interested in? They say the kind of jobs that they spit out as things that they could reasonably see themselves being in are the types of jobs where the HR departments are doing heavy filtering uh, on the level of, of credentials. And that's, that's the reality on the ground. Wait, 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 um, wait, wait, and- wait, 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 wait. So, so we're talking about something who has no clue what they want. They have no specific interest or passions. Let's and, say and yet, they have a little and, and, bit of passion in a lot of different things, but okay, they haven't found one different. one or two things that they've really gripped onto and really captivated them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they're like, gosh, I'd love to be like a pilot, but I could also see myself going into medicine. But then I just saw this documentary about an economist, et cetera. And, and so they say, you know, TK, dad, mm-hmm. like, what should I do? I'm age 18. Uh, we've got a little bit of money in the college fund, but not a lot. I can't really afford to waste it. Like, how would you guide your own kid in this situation if this was your kid? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I would say is you don't have to worry about finding your passion. It's more important that you find a way to experiment with your curiosity it's natural for you to not know what you want to do for the rest of your life. Do you know who you want to marry for the rest of your life? No. Life has a very effective built-in mechanism for discovering what you like. It's called experimentation. It's called experience. So let's take all of your interests, okay, and let's find a way for you to experiment with those interests without having to worry about this being a lifelong commitment. That's the first thing. Let's take some of the pressure off, okay? Here's the second thing. The second thing I would say is all skill must be learned by doing specific things. All abstract skills, for instance, are the logical outworking of having done specific work. Every time you master a specific thing, you learn more fundamental things that are applicable to other things. So for instance, if you say, right now I'm curious about the piano and that's one of the things I wanna learn, uh, and I'm also you know, curious about, about business and I wanna learn that, and I'm also curious about engineering and about visual arts. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Well, li- life is a life of choice. We, we can spend some time dabbling, but something's going to win. But if you pick any one of those things, number one, you don't have to worry about being stuck doing that for the rest of your life. Okay. But if you just take six months or one year and you focus on any one of those things, I assure you, you will not have wasted your time. And here's why. Let's say you focus on practicing the piano for a year and you decide at the end of that year that you don't like piano anymore and you know that you don't want to do this. Well, first of all, that's really valuable knowledge because you're not going to torture yourself over that anymore. But secondly, you just learned something important. You just learned how to learn new things. You just learned how to master a difficult subject. That's applicable to any other instrument. That's applicable to business. That's applicable to art. Anything that you do, you're, you know something about how to effectively navigate the learning process that's going to be useful to you. Additionally, you will be able to signal to other people 
your ability to effectively navigate the, the, the learning process because that's important to people. People need to know that they're hiring a good learner, that they're hiring someone with discipline who's able to sit down and consistently get after something until they master it. And if you can be able to demonstrate to someone that you went from being a complete nobody on the piano to showing up every single day for a year, come hell or high water for an hour a day, and you taught yourself the basics, and now you can play you know, how, at whatever level you can play at, that's gonna be something that's valuable. So I would encourage my son to take the pressure off yourself of knowing what your lifelong passion is overnight, because that's not how it works for most people. Let's create an environment or find an environment where you can experiment with your curiosities and let's just commit to something at an experimental level for a finite period of time so that you can master some useful skills. And then at the end of that period, we'll take inventory and see where you're at because you will have learned something value from experience, valuable from experience. But let me flip the script, Blake, because here's where it gets really interesting. Oh, okay. There is a great problem among young people today with being anxious about finding their passion. You know, how, I don't know what my passion is and I'm so anxious, I'm so anxious, I'm so scared. And I think the traditional model of education is directly responsible for that. The reason being is, I'll put it this way, a person's sense of risk is not just based on the possibility that they could make the wrong decision. It's also based on the cost of actually being wrong. So when I'm making a decision about which toaster I'm going to buy, I experience less anxiety than making a decision about who I'm going to marry or about which home I'm going to buy, right? Because when the cost of being wrong is greater, the pressure of getting it right is greater. But when the cost of getting it wrong is low, I actually don't really care all that much about making the wrong decision. So when I'm making a $2 purchase, you know, for like a flavor of ice cream that I've never had before, I don't experience any anxiety because if I don't like it, the cost of being wrong is very low and I can always buy a new ice cream cone and try out a flavor that I know I like. When it comes to college, what is the cost? Everyone talks about the transition cost, but first is the opportunity cost. You are giving up, not four years, because it's a myth that most people finish college in four years. Only yeah, a minority finish in four, four years, right. Yeah. So you, you are giving up the opportunity cost of five years of your prime. In addition to that, you're, you're, you're giving up uh, over like nearly 70% of people graduate with debt. So most people don't have the deal where their parents pay for everything and they don't have any debt. That's not most people. 70% have debt. So you're taking on debt in order to do something that's gonna take five years of your life and that's fine if you want to do it, but man, what a cost if you go to school and you you know major in elementary education or you get your degree in something because no matter how you paint this picture, you're still gonna have to get a degree in something, right? You're, you can't get a degree in I like everything. So if you go to college, you're still getting a degree in something. You better like what you pick Oh my gosh, what a feeling if you go to college to major in elementary education and then after five years of your life, you get out there to teach school, to teach at school and you find out that you don't like kids. Oh my gosh, that's gotta be heartbreaking. What do you do now? I guess you gotta find a way to figure out how you can get that degree to apply to something else or do you go back to school? That's a tough issue. On the other hand, one of the strongest cases you can make for college alternatives like gap year programs, apprenticeships, is that they have a lower opportunity cost, a lower transition transaction cost, and they give you the opportunity 
to learn valuable things about yourself, to learn more about what you do and don't like. They give you the opportunity to experiment with things that you're curious about, with not committing to five years and six figures, so that at the end of that time, if you decide that you don't like it, guess what? The cost of being wrong isn't that much, and you have some valuable experience, and you can still go back and do the other thing, and probably outperform your peers because you have a level of experience and self-knowledge that they don't have. So I actually okay. think college deals with the problem that you just raised much less yeah. effectively. So your advice to your theoretical child would be just choose something and stick with it for a while and get the experience of uh, building mastery or attempting to build mastery and going deep into something because you'll get all these peripheral skills that come along at the same time. And, and what I'm hearing from what you just said, TK, is that kind of choose the, the most minimum, you know, minimum viable product or experiment here that you can run on your life. Um, if you can get some sort of great experience in just three months instead of nine months, then choose the three-month option and, and take the feedback from that and apply that to your life. And maybe you're going deeper into it. Maybe you're shifting it to some other field. But uh, but sort of the worst way to do this is to put all your eggs into one five-year, $100,000 basket uh, because the, the downside of getting that wrong is huge. And therefore, you're going to feel a very high amount of anxiety. And perhaps anxiety is a symptom of placing such a big bet on something where you don't really know the outcome. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. Although I probably ask a lot more questions and say things like, well, here's one way of looking at it. What do you think? Here's another way of looking at it. What do you think? I, I, I would do that sort of thing. But, you know, um, you know, one of the things about, about what you just said here is that I, I, I think if you don't know what you're doing, remember, this is the way you set up the example. We're not talking yeah, yeah, about someone like who the knows kind of the, the lost yeah. multi-interest kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're not talking about the guy that knows he's passionate about chemical engineering and we're trying to get TK to back off this guy. That's not what's going on, okay? We're talking about the, the character you just set up. And for that person, I think it's a terrible idea for you to spend money or take on debt buying a product that you don't know you want and that you have no concept of how you're going to use merely for the sake of discovering more about what you do and don't like. Th that's literally a very financially expensive way for self-discovery. So you know, if, if, we're going, if we're going to use language like college is an investment, th then we should use the kind of critical thinking that we employ in all investments. Just because something is an investment doesn't mean that you can't do it in a way that is self-defeating or dangerous. I mean, stocks are investments, but lots of people lose money in the stock market. Real estate, that's an investment, but lots of people lose money in real estate. There are good ways and bad ways to go about putting your money in an investment. And I'm amazed by this idea that there is some kind of expiration date on going to college. If you want to go to college, there's nothing about doing a gap year program for a year, doing a mission trip for a year, getting a job for a year, traveling for a year that precludes the possibility that you can go to college a year later. And the chances that you will know more about what you like without having the burden of debt are even greater. The chances that you will not have wasted your time taking a bunch of gen eds that may not apply to your newly found knowledge of what you want to do are greater. So I, I, I don't get this idea at all, and it's not even an anti-college position, 
that you should jump into college and pay that kind of money for self-discovery. There are cheaper, more efficient ways to gain self-knowledge, and none of them require you to take some kind of lifetime vow to not do college a year later. Oh, man. I, okay. I only got one thing left on my list for you, TK. You're wearing me down here. I got one more, but I don't think you're going to be able to to have a very good counter-argument. I, 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 I can saved go for it. three more hours, man. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, here's here's my last one. It's a little bit more niche, okay? Uh, if you want to get trained as a scientist, there is only one place to go. I'm sorry. There is no great alternative to can you be, university can you be more specific what do you mean by science yeah if if you uh not just want to like learn how to think scientifically in, in a more like generic sense but if you are like i want to go into research science maybe i want to become a physicist chemist biologist uh these fields like all of the the, the, the capital equipment for doing experiments lives in universities the social networks are centered in universities. The PhD is the currency of science. Um, you know, all of your your social and, and practical opportunities are in the academy. And so, for someone who is scientifically inclined and wants to 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 really, you know, how can we ever say like, yeah, the eighteen year old knows one hundred percent for sure they want to do physics. But for someone who has a, a strong inclination towards doing science as a career, you cannot skip college. Now, I'm curious, Blake, before I answer this question, is there is there some kind of epidemic I'm not aware of, of uh, people harassing science majors, trying to get them to drop out? Is there some sort of thing people where har- people are... Harassing science pe- pe- majors. Or, 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 or pe- people with an influential voice are going around telling people that want to go into the sciences. You can do that without college. Is that some? Is that a thing? Uh, maybe the social sciences, yes. But yeah, I think for most people, when you say I'm going into one of the hard sciences, then they're like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious, what 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 would you say this argument you're making now is a response to? Well, uh, we're debating the broad subject of like, uh, is it worth it to go to college? And I'm saying for for you know, there's a large portion of college majors who are science majors. And and for them, it is clearly worth it. That like that's the only way you can find out if research science is going to be your thing or not. That's the only way you can experience it. Like there there are no other places to go aside from like I don't know maybe there's a makerspace that has something <laughs> cool, but that's that's more engineering even. That's not even like science research. Um, sure, like sure. you are you are barred from entry if you are not associated with a university. Sure, I think. So yeah, this is more niche. This is right, uh, right. This is about science specifically, and and I, but I think it's pretty hard to argue against this one. Yeah, I, I agree that it's pretty hard to argue against. It's it's even harder for me to argue against it because I I've made the argument that you're making to me. I I I am on your side when it comes to this and even a couple of other things. I mean, you may laugh at this example, but um, I'm a big NBA fan, and if you are a highly talented basketball player. And you want the best shot to go to the NBA, um, and you can choose between going somewhere like Duke University, Michigan State, North Carolina, any college, versus I don't know, figuring out your own way to go to the NBA. I don't know if, based on the way the world is set up now, there is any path that's more effective at putting you in position to do that 
than going through the college system. And if my son came to me and said, hey, dad, I want to go to the NBA and my son was actually good and there were some Division One colleges that wanted him to come play for the team. I mean, I don't have a basketball team at Praxis. You know, I don't know of a homeschooling, <laughs> self-directed basketball. No, team. no, I can <laughs> tell you that they don't exist. If, if, there, if there was a homeschool, self-directed basketball league where we could get a lot of exposure, that'd be exciting. Now, I can tell you that as a visionary, as a proponent of alternate alternative education, I don't believe the world is complete. I don't believe the world has gone as far as it can go. And part of the reason why you and I do the work that we do and we have the conversations that we have is because we're still in process. We are in process of trying to expand the options for this generation and the next generation. So I hope that one day there is a world where we never have to say, well, it'd be nice if you didn't have to go to college to do this thing over here, but the fact of the matter is you absolutely have to. I, I think that's a sad world. I, I think a world where there are a variety of options for how you can launch your career is a better world than you know, there's this one necessary thing that you gotta do whether you like it or not. I think, it's, I think this world is better than that kind of world. So I hope and I pray that someone comes along and builds an alternative to that, you know, just as we're building alternatives to many of the other types of careers that people launch. But, um, you know, I th that's not something that I would argue against. But here's something that I would say as a kind of counterpoint to you making that argument. The conversation on higher education is not a conversation that takes place on equal footing. OK, there, there, there is no epidemic of people harassing college attendees, telling them that they shouldn't go. In fact, the way that you know a message is powerful and pervasive is by how effective the message is at internalizing itself in people's hearts without needing to be explicitly stated. What I mean by that is the average high school graduate, the average person who gets to the age where they can go to college, it's already built into their mindset based on the, the prior conditioning that going to college is the next logical step, that it's the best way to engage in career prep. That's the dominant assumption of our time. We don't live in a country where half the people believe that you should do a college alternative and the other half believe that you should go to college. We live in a country where the overwhelming majority of people go to college and support college as the superior path for career prep. So I'm not worried about some kid who wants to study science being convinced that he should drop out. I don't think that's going to happen. It's very difficult to convince people to drop out because society already has a built-in support network for people who want to go to college. And if I did succeed at convincing someone who wanted to go into science that they should drop out, I am certain that as soon as they stop listening to this podcast, they have at least 50 adults in their lives who are going to argue against everything I say. But we do have a problem in this country. In the reverse, we do have a problem of people saying, I don't know if college is right for me. I don't think college is right for me. I need a college alternative. And all the people who have influence, not all the people, but many of the people who have influence to speak up on behalf of that person, well, they're a little scared because they don't want to say anything that's politically in incorrect. They don't want to step on any toes. They don't want to make anybody upset. And so you have many people, and I talk to them. You have many people 
who are sitting in college classrooms and they're saying to themselves, I wish I could drop out. I don't want to be here. I do know what my passion is, but my mom and dad will never talk to me again if I drop out. That's the, mm -hmm. that's, that's legit fear. And what I want to do is I want to challenge those people to think differently about this process. And I want to challenge the people that are centers of influence to think differently about how they challenge those who are considering opting out, because that's the real problem in this country. We don't have a problem with people not being told enough times that they should go to college. We do have a problem with the people who don't belong in college not being told enough times that maybe college is right for you. If I, if I can close with this, taking a lot please. of time, there, there is a, are you telling me like, please close or please make this point I want to make? <laughs> it sounds like you're begging me to stop talking. I, I can shut it down. No, no, no. Make the point. Make the point. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, I, 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 I shared this with Tom Woods on a, on a recent appearance I made on his podcast, and I'll, I'll share it with you. Um, there's an analogy that I have where I think dropping out of college is analogous to being in an interracial marriage. And if you don't know, I'm in an interracial marriage. Um, if you were to take a survey and ask people what they thought about the idea of two people of different races loving each other and being married. Most people would say in 2018 that, yeah, I'm okay with that. It doesn't really matter to me what color people are as long as they love each other and you know, they're, they're willing to be there for one another. In fact, in 2018, people would probably look at me as being weird for thinking that's a question worth asking. People would probably look at me and be like, did you get out of a time machine? Do you not realize what day and age it is? Nobody cares about that anymore. If I were to tell you, hey, mm -hmm. Blake, I know a, I know an interracial couple that has a happy marriage, you would probably be bored with Stop that story. Stop the presses. Right, right. There's Woo. nothing interesting about that. But that's the theoretical conversation where we can talk about interracial marriage without having skin in the game. Let's change the conversation to a specific one where we have skin in the game. What happens if it's your son or if it's your daughter? that comes home and says, mom, dad, I'm in love with an Arab person, a black person, a white person. Now, even if the parent is supportive, now that you have skin in the game, there are all sorts of questions you're going to have to answer. There are all sorts of challenges that are going to be made to you that a person in a same race marriage it never gets to hear, never has to face. And it's not because people are hypocrites. It's not because people are trying to be mean or that they're not sincere when they say they don't have a problem with interracial dating. It's because the equation changes completely when there is skin in the game. You talk to interracial couples, they'll tell you. Most of them have stories. They'll tell you. They get asked a different set of questions than other people. And that doesn't make them victims. That doesn't mean we need to feel sorry for them. But what it means is that when you do things that are uncommon, or that are against the status quo, that are opposite of what the majority of people do. And the people who have skin in the game are affected by the decisions you make. They tend to challenge you more than people who belong in the other group. And that means if you want to consider yourself to be a supporter of alternative education, it's not enough to stand back and say safe, uncontroversial things like we need more creativity in schools. You got to put yourself on the line and actually defend specific individuals. Don't just tell me you support more than one way. I want to see you stand behind a specific dropout who's being challenged. And, I, and instead of saying, I'm worried about you, say, hey, let's talk.
I, I wanna understand. Tell me what your plans are. I don't wanna react defensively. I don't wanna treat you like you're different from anybody else. Tell me, tell me what you want and let's see if we can find something that works for you. If I can change the conversation on education so that that's the way people respond who want to opt out of college, I've won. And for the person who says, I wanna go to college and I love it, I say, God bless you, but you have your voices. You have many people who are constantly telling you that you've made the right decision, but I'm not here for you. I'm here for the lost sheep. Well, I think you're doing a great job, TK, and that's a good place to put a bow on it. Uh, man, you've, uh, you've obviously been practicing these arguments because I was, I was throwing the best that I got at you and you had a, a response for everything. So well done. Oh man, this, this was fun. You're a good conversationalist. And I know that we could delve into this stuff for hours and hours and cover it from so many angles, but I, I appreciate the, the intellectually honest discussion and I, I hope to have one again in the future. Me too. Thanks, TK. Thanks, Blake.